So we are picking up where we left off last week. Um, and just a little recap for us before we get into talking specifically about feeling guilty within relationships, which is our focus for today. But traditionally guilt, especially in religious settings, was primarily felt in relationship to God. So this ongoing feeling of being guilty before God, it's talked about quite a bit in things like the Psalms and in worship music, things like that. But the idea of new guilt you are telling us about is that we actually don't walk around feeling guilty before God right now. We walk around feeling guilty before ourselves. The guilt has migrated and we feel this guilt pretty much all of the time. Self-forgiveness can feel really inaccessible when we're constantly walking around with this nagging sense of guilt. For me, I know this comes up in the shoulds Mm -hmm. that appear. That's always my helpful or maybe not so helpful indicator that guilt is popping up. I should be making better use of my time. I should be pouring into this friendship more. I should be reading more. I should stop scrolling on social media so much. All of those shoulds. And the pressure and dissatisfaction that we feel can be really overwhelming. But a helpful piece that we landed on last week is that Jesus is a guide in alleviating this guilt. That Jesus isn't an adder of additional burdens and demands and shoulds, but is a reliever of burdens and demands. So is there anything major that I missed in this recap before we get started? I think that's pretty good. I would say um, the... Well, we, t- we talked about music last week yes. and, uh, and, you know, had a lot of like song lyrics that seemed to capture uh, a lot of those things that we were talking about, about this guilt before ourselves and that being largely the experience of us. And I cannot believe that we missed Luisa from Encanto, I the know. jam from the last year, uh, <laughs> singing the um, Pressure song. Yes. And I mean, it's like, it is the encapsulation. I mean, that's, that's not even like implicit, right? It's like super explicit. It, it's a, <laughs> here, here is what we all feel all the time. Mm-hmm. And I remember when that came out and I saw like so many, so many, you know, people writing like actual, like, like scholarly work about like why, <laughs> why Louisa speaks for us all <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and how important that song was for so many. So I can't believe we forgot that one from last week, but, uh, but we didn't bring that in, but now we should bring that in. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that, like maybe if we have that song playing in the back of our minds, uh, Louisa from Encanto singing the pressure, like a drip, 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 mm-hmm. you know, like that is. That is, um, that's what we're talking about. That's what it means. Uh, that's the experience of guilt today yeah. in, uh, in our world. And I will say that um, one, one important thing like one, uh, to, to keep in mind about uh, guilt in our modern world, like uh, I was, I was uh, suggesting that the, the, the common experience is this guilt before ourselves. Now, it doesn't mean, I think, that this idea that's captured in the Psalms of guilt before God isn't something that we should consider or isn't something that mm-hmm. sometimes somebody might feel. But the idea is that we, the, the world that we live in, the everyday of life is not uh, wrapped up in, in like in God. We live in this disenchanted secular age where like we, 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 we don't, we're not like, you know, if, if it's, you know, when it rains today, we're not like, or, or the, you know, like we're trying to plan a uh, service for Sunday morning and we see, it's like, oh my gosh, it might rain. We don't like, like make a sacrifice to the gods. We look at the weather forecast, right? Yes. You know, so it's like that—that's the idea of like we live in a secular world, and and that that has pluses and minuses from the world that we left. Uh, but what is true, like we're not trying to make any value statements about what we are right now or how we live. But what is just true is that the experience of guilt today is experienced as 
I should. Mm -hmm. Guilt before myself. All of the shoulds, like you said. And again, we have to go back to a phrase we've used before because it's been so helpful of shooting all over yourself. And that is what (laughs) we do constantly. We always feel the pressure because we're shooting all over ourselves. Yes. Not making, I think my mic is. Oh, it's back. It's good. Oh, great. Okay. Um, So not making, we're not making any sacrifices to the gods, but people did sacrifice their donuts this morning. Oh, gosh. You guys. I mean, that is the true sign of of servant heartedness. (laughs) So with this, um, I'm kind of calling it the new guilt mindset. Yeah, the new guilt mindset. I like it. So there are two big pieces from last week that I want to come back to today because I think that they're really important um, that in the way that they impact how we navigate relationships. Okay, yep. So that's cultural consciousness okay. and acceleration, okay. which may sound very jargony, but we're going to break it down here, have it make a little bit more sense. But basically something you said last week was that we are conscious of everything immediately. Yes, which yeah. Wow, there are endless possibilities of things to feel guilty about. To feel about. guilty about, exactly, exactly. Yes. That's why this is important to understand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so can you say a little bit more about cultural consciousness? Yeah, yeah, so uh, cultural consciousness is something that um, historians or sociologists will talk about. Um, and the idea is that people in our age, again, like the, the this is kind of new to like the internet age, um, but also new, I think, maybe more in the last like hundred years, uh, as just more knowledge uh, has been available and then able to be passed. So, like every time communication has gotten faster, you know. So it's like when we go from we go from you know. Uh, uh, horses to cars, you know, mm-hmm. uh, boats to trains. Do you know what I mean? And then into to flight. To now we can traverse the globe. Now we can send email. Now we mm-hmm. can, you know, post things on the internet, and everybody can see it immediately. You know, so all of that has what has led to, and what what sociologists or, or historians will call, is the 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 cultural consciousness of a person living today is exploding with information. I mean, there are so many things we know. So um, they. They can, uh, one way to think about this is to break it up into a few categories of like the kind of consciousness we have. And I'll, some of these words are a little jargony because it's like historians making the claims. But, um, but I, think we can all, I think we can all track with what they are. So the first one is pluralistic consciousness. So what that means is we are aware of our neighbors who are maybe across the street or maybe across the internet who believe differently than us and seem to be living just as full or maybe even more full lives than we are. That is, you know, like when you're conscious of that, it kind of breaks your understanding of maybe a religion or spirituality mm-hmm. that's meant, meant to serve you. Pluralistic consciousness. When we have that in our mind, it presents trouble. You know, like we have to, oh, wait, but what, so what, do, what, does, that ma- what does that mean for what I believe? Mm-hmm. Um, we, have to, we have to, you know, deal with that question in a way that people didn't have to deal with that question hundreds of years ago and, and, and before. Another thing is historical consciousness. So we are aware that there isn't just one way to tell the story, that there are many perspectives, and often it is the winners, the powerful in history, who write the one that is called the history. Mm-hmm. We are aware of that today. That adds so much to our brain space to process. Now, also, I think we can kind of note with this one in particular, it's really important that we, you know, like that we progress as human beings and are able to have a more historical consciousness. Otherwise, the status quo remains the status quo and people uh, who are uh, less powerful in society remain less powerful in society. And so this is, this is important moves, but it adds to the, the, the many things that are filling up the consciousness of a modern person, okay? Next is social consciousness. So we are aware of how every person is shaped by the individuals and the cultures around them in like 
innumerable ways, right? Like we, we all know that like we're all products of both nature and nurture, right? We're aware of that now. We have an understanding of that generally speaking. Most people would understand like, hey, if I had a family that acted this way, that means I'm going to act either a similar way or maybe I'll, I'll cancel them out and try to mm -hmm. act the opposite way, right? We're aware of the, how that works. Uh, we are cosmologically conscious. We are aware that we are just tiny specks in an infinite universe. That was not the way that most people in, mo in history felt. Like we were like, we're the center of the, the universe. The sun orbits the earth. Just look up and look at the sun. It moves and the moon does too. And now we, are di we, we, we believe differently. We understand differently because we, we know more. We're more conscious. And then just to throw one more crazy one in, um, which is the funniest one of all, we are aware of uh, false consciousness. So we're aware of the possibility that we can lie to ourselves. Oh, that, we're, that we're all like, we can be unreliable narrators. We can tell something about us, but actually we really like, we have no idea how many like mommy and daddy problems are just like leading to us telling the story one way when actually the truth is something else. We're aware of that being possible. So like you think about all that goes on in our heads and what does that mean? It means we are shooting all over ourselves yes. all the time. That's what, that's this idea of cultural yeah. consciousness. Yeah. Well, this constant over awareness almost, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, it really, I think it impacts relationships a lot of times through comparison. Oh, I've been yes. thinking about um, how we can kind of diminish our own stories and needs because we're comparing our lives, our trajectory, our yep. experiences to other people's. Um, and this might be people that we know. It might be just people on a social media feed that we've never even met before. Yep. But the, I think I've realized that actually being curious when the guilt creeps in, being able to filter and discern, like, why is this feeling popping up for me? It actually reveals what we do care about. And all of yeah. this noise of over-awareness, um, we can focus in on what, what does matter to us. Maybe I'm feeling like I'm lacking and feeling guilty compared to someone else because there's actually something in that person that I long for and that can feel really negative, but it could also be a really positive motivation to move in that direction as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. I think the important thing to, to uh, which, is, which is really nuanced and hard to do, I think in, uh, we, you know, we really wanna like say what we mean in like 140 characters, mm -hmm. right? So it can just, you know, it can capture it and then be done. But I think that this, this, this reality that we live in can't be captured that way because yeah. when we walk through all of that stuff that we're conscious of today, some of it's like, I think really important, right? Like what we were saying, like there is no, there is no civil rights movement in the 60s if we don't increase in consciousness as human beings. There is no, they, you know, like there is no free India or Pakistan, like if, if, if there's no increase in human consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't, we don't actually, uh, we can't actually make massive moves that the world needs or that, that I think God wants for the world to, to move toward in terms of justice if we don't have an increase of consciousness. And at the same time, we are talking about this increase in consciousness of causing problems for individuals. Mm -hmm. And so it is both. Like we have to be able to hold the fact that like, I wouldn't trade this. I wouldn't go back to a world that is pre these, like conscious of these things. But we do have to recognize that when we become a different society or when we become a different culture or when human beings experience life a different way, that is not all gravy. You know, like it comes with challenges. Mm -hmm. And the challenge that we have to face today as we move toward those things is this like comparison game constantly because we are aware of so much, right? Yeah. And so it's, it, it, there, there's a, it, it's a, it's a plus to, to, in terms of like what we have 
have to do as collectives in terms of the change we have to make as collectives, but it's a, it's a real negative for the individual's experience. And, and one of the hard things about this is that for so long it's kind of only been pitched as a plus that we go in this direction because individualism is great and individualism does have awesome things about it. Like again, we, for, if you're somebody who maybe grew up in a setting where you were alienated or where you couldn't actually share who you really were because if you did that, you'd be outcasted, individualism is extremely important. We need individualism because you need to be able to find a way to attach yourself to a different story that does uh, allow you to feel at home and feel belonging and find meaning. So that's so important. And when, when, we don't, when we don't have these larger things that kind of like do the meaning work for us and we have to do it alone on our own, that is a ton of pressure. And then you do look around and you think, well, everybody else must be doing it better than I am. And look, because like, look at that person's post. Oh my gosh, like they're vacationing. Like, shoot, I'm not vacationing. Like that, that must mean I don't care about self-care. Oh, but I care about self-care. But how can I tell people I care about self-care? Because it's so important that they know all of that is just overwhelming for any individual to manage themselves. Yeah. And it used to be that you didn't have to do those things because you just found yourself belonging in a world and it would be great. But then, swing the pendulum the other way, but what about those people who it wasn't great for, who did feel alienated and outcasted? Well then, we need kind of what we have now. Oh no, you know, like it's both good and bad. I think yes. that's what I want to say. Yeah. 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 But wait, there's more challenges. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because the other idea that I want to come back to is acceleration yeah, and how yeah. that impacts us. Yeah, yeah. We talked a lot about acceleration. We talked about the idea that life is not just fast today, but it's speeding up. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it's keep up or die. That's, that's kind of the, 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 the implicit message that we all hear all the time. Yeah. Um, I think that burnout culture is mm. a thing that really pops up with this. Mm -hmm. And you would use some language when we were brainstorming about the aspirational RSVP. Yes, yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought was interesting. The, yeah, the aspirational RSVP is, um, I remember reading um, a, I think it was like a New Yorker or an Atlantic piece uh, that was all about the aspirational RSVP. And it's this phenomenon of like, you know, guilt is so overactive in your culture that we say yes to things, even though we know we can't make it to that thing. But we mm. say yes, because we would rather let someone down in text later than feel guilt in the moment telling somebody, That's no, so I can't make it to that thing. So it's the aspirate, like you're, you're saying, it's like, I are you asking me if I aspire to be there? Yes, absolutely. I want to. But, <laughs> but, I, but I will not actually be there. And, uh, and you know, like that trade-off has consequences, right? Like it's it, your word or your reputation is sacrificed for you know, for a short-term feeling of not feeling guilty. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that the hard part um, about being locked in this world of, of acceleration and consciousness and shoulds is that, like, the way out of that being trapped and, uh, you know, like, oh, I, I want to, I just want to say yes because I, I want to I get out of this. The way out of that is not, like, uh, it's not a message of, like, quit being so flaky, you yeah. millennials, because millennials are often the one who, <laughs> the, you know, the, the finger is pointed at people like me and my generation with the aspirational RSVP. I, I think that what we have to acknowledge again is that this problem is not problems with individuals. It's a problem with our whole culture yeah. that, that encourages us to act this way. And so if, if we make it a, just a problem of like, oh, you're just flaky, then I think y that person is just gonna be buried in shoulds and they're only more likely mm -hmm. to make aspirational RSVPs that don't mean anything and ruin their reputation. I think the way out of this is we have to, we have to face it as a whole, as a collective. We have yeah. to see that this is, that burnout and, and those things 
things that that uh, that make us make those short-term decisions, like an aspirational RSVP, those things are all around us. They're not inside us, you know. Oh, they are inside us, but it's not it's not uniquely wrong with me. It's yeah. uh, it's something that is affecting all of us. Yeah, that it's not just on an individual level that we're experiencing this, yes. but it's an actual societal and collective yep. experience. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I had thought about how burnout and new guilt are so intricately tied together. They are. I, I think that the, you know, again, if we take that that concept of life is accelerating, mm -hmm. um, it's it's only a matter of time before you burn out, right? If life is just constantly getting faster and faster and faster, and uh, and you're and and you constantly feel the need to uh, to keep up or die, um, eventually we will all burn out in yeah. that world. And when somebody burns out, you know the. The, the usual response to that is, well, let's get that person, you know, the, the individual things they need. Like, well, you know, like one of the interesting uh, uh, reactions to this in a lot of like church settings, for example, is like pastoring is a, is a, is a setting where people burn out a lot. Mm -hmm. it's a, it, it has a pretty high burnout rate. And, um, and one of the things that uh, a common response in, in larger church denominations is like, okay, if somebody's burning out, well, let's, 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 um, let's develop this program where they come away for a weekend and go and, you know, and get what they need you know, to, uh, to get back in the game. And it's like it's offering another thing that somebody has to say yes yeah. to, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's all, of our, all of our efforts even to, like it's not like we're not aware of these things. We're not aware of acceleration. We are so aware of it, but all of our efforts to actually address it inflame acceleration even more because it's add another thing, add another program, add another uh, uh, responsibility. Like, well, you know, like if you're, if you're feeling burned out, you got to go to therapy once a week. It's like, but I'm burnt out because I have too many once a week things, yep. you know? And so, so all of that just, it, it feeds the problem rather than fixing it, even if we have good ideas. The yeah. best ideas in the world aren't going to work if it's still accelerate, accelerate, accelerate to fix it because yeah. the problem is acceleration. Yeah. And just how much that impacts our interpersonal relationships as well. And I'm curious um, if anyone in the chat has any ideas about how um, guilt has impacted your relationships. Mm. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that here of what some examples are of how mm -hmm. this actually plays out relationally. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if if the aspirational RSVP, if anybody, like I am definitely a card-carrying member oh, of I've, the aspirational I've RSVP. <laughs> um, that, that, that may not be you. Maybe there are other things. And I, and I would encourage all of you, like as you're thinking about, as you're trying to scour your mind of like, what, a, what is it for you? I would encourage you, like, don't, don't feel like you know you are you are, you are like uh, like th these are these are these are wider problems. We don't have to prove ourselves as like well I don't do those sorts mm -hmm. of things or I don't do this sorts of things. Like we have to we have to totally embrace the idea that every one of us lives in this world. There is no way to escape it. There is no way to pretend that you are immune to this problem of acceleration or to the whole cultural consciousness thing and the pressure and the shoulds. Mm -hmm. There is no way to do that in this world. Like we all have those. Now it may not be the aspirational RSVP for you, but what that should give us is a lot of grace for everybody else. We should really understand like, oh my gosh, like when I look at somebody else who seems to be like buckling under the pressure. When I look at somebody else who seems to be so full of shoulds, what I should do when I see them. What I should do. What I should, oh gosh, dang it. Oh, see, there it goes. What, what, I, what I long to be, what I long for us to be able to do yes. reflexively is, that was so good, uh, is, um, is to empathize. Mm. And to and to try to to understand like oh yeah I feel that pressure too and it plays out this way yeah. rather than jump to that idea of like you know like it's especially true in stereotypes like I, I, again like I I have I said last week like I've heard every 
millennial stereotype thrown at me for any number of things, but especially when we talk about guilt and it's like, oh my gosh, you millennials, you just want to make your own rules. Mm -hmm. You just, you know, like you just, you know, you just, you take your, your uh, mental health day. What's a mental health? You know, I've heard all of the stereotypes come at me. And so I feel a drive to like prove myself of like, I'm not a stereotype. I am blah, 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 blah. And this, and this, and this, and this, and this. But the moment I get into that game, I'm once again in the world of acceleration, mm -hmm. right there. I'm trying to prove myself. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get, you know, uh, get the, uh, blow up the comparison game by winning the comparison game. Yeah. And that's not, that's not how, we, how we free ourselves from this. Yeah. I think for me, some of the, um, we might come back later on um, at a different time to talk about cognitive distortions a bit. Oh, yeah. something yeah. I like to talk about. But just one, a couple things that come up for me here. Um, about what I think guilt can do in my relationships is I either I have all or nothing thinking when yes. it comes to commitments, when yeah. it comes to being present with people. Um, if I'm not going to be able to do it fully and do it to my absolute best using absolutely all of my energy, it's either that or it's nothing. So, you, you get, so it's yes because I can be totally there or no. Yeah. Mm. I think that I see that come mm. up. And I also see mind reading a lot because mm. I think, and I do think it comes from a, a place of um, wanting to say the right things to people yeah. and wanting to be there in the right ways. But instead of trusting people to be experts on themselves, I tend to try and read their minds of what yeah. they may want. Well, what or do they assume, really want? They're not telling me. Yeah, yeah. Or assume that others can read my mind and know what I want. Mm. Um, and so I think that those two, the all or nothing thinking and the mind reading mm -hmm. definitely come up for mm -hmm. me. I think that I, um, I, kind of like isolate when I feel too many shoulds and I just kind of get tunnel vision on something that in the grand scheme of things isn't that important. Like I, I had, I think I had some experience even earlier this week of feeling really guilty in one situation, in one relationship. And I just like, I, I was so overwhelmed by it that I was just like, I'm going to go fix this other problem. Mm -hmm. And because I just wanted to isolate, I wanted to get away from it. And so I definitely do that. Um, or the other thing that I think can sometimes happen, and I think I do this too, is I will pit self-care versus others care as mm. if they're opposed to one another you know it's like it, and I, and i think that, that that's a that's a dichotomy that's false that we really yeah. need to be careful about i guess it's similar to your yeah. all or nothing thinking of or actually self-care is community care yeah. community care is self-care is self-care like yeah. seeing them as i mean certainly we can get out of proportion right like we and and i think that that's a thing but believing that um, believing that it's one or the other mm -hmm. uh, either or thinking is not going to help us when it comes to uh, being in community, caring for ourselves. Like I think about, um, I think about an experience I have in uh, a long-running uh, morning coffee group with a bunch of guys that I've been doing. And one of the things that we, that uh, one guy will often say is uh, he wants to go last because he loves when everybody else shares first. Because he, if he, if he shares first about how he's doing, he's just like off and running, and it's like, it's like a fire hose, and you can't stop him. But if if he goes through the experience of hearing everybody else share first, and then he shares, it's like. There, there's a, there's, there's helpfulness to that because it kind of, um, it reins you and it gives you perspective, and, um, and he always comes out feeling like his self was cared for more mm -hmm. when he cared for everybody else by letting them go first, yeah. and, uh, and that's, a, I think that's, that's a perfect example of they're not, it's not a false dichotomy. We, yeah. we can't see them as a pit, pit against each other. And that self awareness is really at the center of that too. Yep. yep. Um, but I want to shift gears a little bit here because if we stopped here, this would kind of just be like, well. It's rough out there. Yeah. Good luck. We are talking about some of the hardest things of living um, in, in, uh, in 21st century life. Yeah. But something that we touched on last week was forgiveness. 
And um, as I mentioned before, that if Jesus is a guide in helping navigate guilt, we had this verse that we came to last week of come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And how that is actually decelerating. It's slowing down. It's offering something that's a lot more sustainable than the aspirational RSVP where you're just (laughs) prolonging the guilt. Um, But I'm wondering if we could talk this week about Jesus alleviating guilt and helping us filter demands when it comes to relationships. Yeah. 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 So I I mean, the, the other phrase, we, we mentioned last week that, um, the, the brilliance of, of suggesting forgiveness as the antidote to guilt. And so in, in, a, in, in a life where we feel extremely guilty before a holy God, it is so, I mean, it's, it's everything to experience forgiveness from that God. Mm-hmm. And so if our experience of guilt, largely speaking, is guilt before ourselves, it would be everything to experience forgiveness of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we practiced that a little bit last week. We talked about how that is, I mean, there, there are an explosion of ideas out there about forgiving ourselves today. And some of them are awesome. Some of them are less good. Uh, we might get into that before we're done. But I want to lean into this idea of forgiveness um, as, as, as Jesus talks about it, uh, because it is uh, one of, it's one of the most repeated um, teachings or sayings of Jesus. Uh, clearly, if we're, if we're trying to like, like take all of the, the, the records that we have of Jesus of Nazareth who lived, it's clear that forgiveness was a major mm-hmm. theme that he taught about. So um, we have uh, the famous phrase of forgive as you have been forgiven. And Jesus uh, evidently had uh, moments of teaching where he would just, he would, he would offer that saying in different uh, settings. That is part of the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. So that's another encapsulation of what m- most scholars believe was a regular teaching of Jesus. We have specific instances shared of Jesus teaching that, but that, the idea being that that was a regular teaching. He would go to a new town and he would, you know, teach us to pray and he would, and he would begin with those phrases from the Our Father. So forgive as you have been forgiven is mm-hmm. right there. It's also uh, repeated many times in the letters in the New Testament that are attributed to Paul, forgive as you've been forgiven, uh, are, is in the letter to the Ephesians, it's letter to the Colossians. So it's a, it's a major thing, this idea of forgive as you have been forgiven. There is this connection between your ability to forgive with your own experience of having been forgiven. Yeah. Um, and so I think the way that we elaborate on that for our time is forgive others and yourself mm-hmm. as you have been forgiven by others, by God, and by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, we just, we, we expand it all the more to understand both of those, the forgiveness flowing in and forgiveness flowing out. There is a connection there. And it's almost like uh, the image that I like is like, forgiveness is this big thing that we participate in. Hmm. And, and which is a little bit different than like forgiveness being like individual actions of like forgiving a debt or forgiving, you know, maybe not a, a, a money debt, but like a forgiving a debt, you know, emotionally or yeah. something. The, forgiveness is that, but forgiveness is maybe also understood not as individual instances, but this lo- big, big thing that's at the center of all things, because there's a God of love at the center of all things. And we get to participate in that. We get to participate mm-hmm. in that flow of forgiving as we have been forgiven, forgiving ourselves as we have been forgiven, forgiving others as we have been forgiven. And and, and I, I like the idea of participation in forgiveness. Yeah, even the visual of that flow of forgiveness, I think for some of us, and maybe we experience it both ways, but for some of us, there might be a stopper from that flow of forgiveness coming within us of yes. being able to have self-forgiveness and accept yeah. the forgiveness that others are offering. And for some of us, there might be a stopper that prevents the forgiveness On the from other side. Yes. flowing out. Yeah. So I like that visual. It's, it, it, it allows it to be, um, so it allows us to, to have like a, a handhold, but it, but here's, here's the, 
good version of individualism, right? Like we all enter into that story in different ways. Mm -hmm. And if we start, you know, pitching universals, it's like, it has to be this way, then otherwise I can't access forgiveness because that doesn't seem to capture my story. This idea of participating in forgiveness, the flow of forgiveness, the way Jesus talked about forgiveness of it coming in and leaving, we can position ourselves wherever it feels like there's room for us to grow. Yeah. Um, I, al I also like participating in forgiveness because I do think that, um, you know, I, I mentioned like there are spaces and instances in our world today, even as secular as we are, where it is important for us to talk about forgiveness before God. And uh, what this, what what participation in forgiveness allows us to do is it like refocuses that need for forgiveness on really big matters of justice rather than matters of like private morality. Mm -hmm. And you know, like the prayer that we that we pray today on September 11th, the litany that Angela led us in, has language of like, forgive us, God. We repent, God. We are, we are changing. But what, who is repenting? Who is, who is asking for forgiveness? It's not necessarily individuals for their private, you know, instances of being wrong. It is us as a, as a collective yeah. participating, trying to get more in the flow. God, we as a unit, as a, as a whole people, we certainly as America have not participated in forgiveness. Forgive us. We want to come back to that so that we can participate in forgiveness. That, yeah. that I, I also like it for those reasons. Yeah, I do too. Um, so when we're looking at navigating guilt communally in this way, Institutional sources of community like churches have not always been the best at helping yeah. alleviate new guilt. Yes, yes. Can you say more about that? I, I can definitely. So I think I got a little bit at this last week as I shared the story that's really meaningful to me about Scott Hutchinson, this lead mm -hmm. singer of this band that I saw and then and then he, he shortly after took his own life. Um, and I think a lot of that was churches being asleep at the job of like, what does it mean to address the experience of guilt today for, for people in our world? Because the experience of guilt today is different than the experience mm -hmm. of guilt that churches are used to speaking to. Um, so I, I think what, uh, kind of expanding on that, I think one of the challenges today when, you know, we talk about that, like all of the pressure and the consciousness that's mm -hmm. up here for every human being, there's so much we're holding. Uh, one of the realities, the way that plays out um, is a phrase that we like to use at, at, at BLC of uh, we are all simultaneously believers and skeptics at mm -hmm. the same time. It's not like here are the believers and then those are the skeptics out there that we need to convert to believing. We, we here at Brownland Church kind of recognize all of us are both at the same time. Yeah. And so there is no like converting of other people. It's just like we, we are all those people. And that part of that reality is because we are conscious of so much. And so, um, but the problem is that the, the biggest institutions like churches, but not just churches, even universities in mm -hmm. many ways, um, the, we only know how to foster conversation uh, about spirituality in terms of like belief versus skepticism. That's yeah. like the, all of the gatekeepers that like dominate the conversation. So like if you're reading a, you know, or anything from like, you know, an article at the New York Times to like a study that was released about like polling, you know, American behavior about religion to churches that are talking about this on Sundays. Most of the time, the way that that conversation is happening is it's like, here are the people who are firm believers and here are the people who are totally skeptics and they are at odds with each mm -hmm. other. But the problem is that most human beings in America, I don't think actually live at those two poles. We most of, most of us live in the middle somewhere. And so uh, being able to have conversations about, uh, about these big, these big things that we all feel, how do I not should all over myself? Mm -hmm. How do I experience forgiveness as somebody who constantly feels guilty before myself? 
these people over here aren't speaking for me, and these people over, aren't here, over here aren't speaking for me, and they have the loudest voices. And so who is speaking for me? I think this is a call for a church like ours. I think this is a call for lots of people who want to be helpful. And, uh, and there is actually, uh, there's actually like research that suggests that this area of, of, uh, is like the most exploding, uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the fastest growing area of spirituality in America, mm. is um, what uh, like, way the third ways between those two yeah. like ardent belief and you know skepticism on the other side there's this explosion of like like people like Brene Brown would fall into this category or Glennon Doyle uh, people who are who are offering trying to you know fill that spiritual gap and so there's a lot of really good stuff here like I am very helped by people like Brene Brown or Glennon Doyle there's a lot of great things that are coming out of this explosion of like trying to, people trying to speak for those who feel like believers and skeptics at the same time and I want us to be a part of that uh, but the other problem is that it's exploding so fast is that there's there's also a lot of stuff out there that I think just makes, I, it just adds to the accelerating feeling. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, oh yeah, we're going to speak for you and here's how you get out of it. You do it this way. And I think like there's a lot of things in productivity culture mm -hmm. that are very, you know, like it's really like it sounds, it's actually like really great sounding self-help, but all of the ways that they're, they're suggesting you, you better yourself is like go faster and do better. And, you know, and, and, you know, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, which is all acceleration yeah. language or like gym culture. I think a lot of people find belonging in gyms and they might experience, um, there are some gyms that I think genuinely offer something that I think is, is, is meeting those needs for people who are both believer and skeptic. But there are some that also do that same kind of thing of like accelerate, accelerate, accelerate. And that's, the, that's, their, uh, that's their way of addressing the problem. And I don't think that addresses the problem because I think that is mm -hmm. the problem. Yeah. I'm wondering this idea of having a culture of forgiveness and something bigger that we participate in. Mm -hmm. Um, how invitational it is to be able to rest within that mm -hmm. instead of this accelerate, 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 yeah, rest keep on it. more demands. And so it might feel almost jarring in some ways to be in a space where you're not given more things to do right. when there's not like, here are eight steps to overcome burnout yeah. that you have to follow in a sequence. Uh, yes, that's eight steps to overcome burnout are the perfect example of an acceleration response to the problem of acceleration. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I'm wondering... Um, what it could be different, um, what some different ways that community can operate in the spirit of forgiveness and yeah. the spirit of not accelerating, not heaping on more burdens to really be accepted because this idea of belonging that you keep coming back to, yep. it's either you have to be willing to accept all of these new responsibilities in order to belong or you don't have that same sense of meaning yep. in a lot of communities. Yep. And it's not just relig religious settings no. either. It's yeah. in a lot of communities. Um, this kind of like you get what you put in type of mm -hmm. mentality, which mm -hmm. I don't actually think is all that helpful yeah. um, all the time. But I'm wondering if there's some, some other things that we can offer for a community that could be a little bit more life-giving and hopeful. Yeah, I think that um, in maybe the, the main way I would think about this is we need to build into our lives routines that are not, um, that are not transactional. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is maybe at the heart of the acceleration lifestyle um, is it's lots of transactions <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, and a little bit of, you know, one of the, one of the constant things that we might feel in guilt to eat to other people is the moment I have done something for somebody else, 
I feel like a transaction needs to be evened and they need to do something for me. Or usually it's vice versa, right? Like somebody has done something for me and I almost don't want to accept that help because it means, oh gosh, I'm going to feel guilty until I do something back for them. That's transactional thinking. And I think that it, it, it feeds acceleration. It makes the wheel turn faster. And so, um, so what we, the, the number one thing we can do in terms of you know, what can, what sort of practices can we have as community with each other, as a church? Mm -hmm. What sort of practices can we take to the other communities that we uh, are a part of in our world, whether it's our workplace or our neighborhoods or our families? Uh, we need to practice non-transactional routines with each other. Mm -hmm. And so some of that is, I, I think, I think it's probably like being really explicit sometimes and really intentional to say like, um, I'm not, I'm not looking for you to even, you know, even the playing field here or like, I'm doing this for you and I just want to do this for you. Yeah. You know, like I, I think we do need to be really explicit about it sometimes yeah. and um, uh, that that probably can help. But but the other things, you know, it's it. there's a lot of like really, there's a lot of like very subtle and insidious ways that we participate in acceleration. And so sometimes it's not going to be, it's not going to be as simple as like, you know, just explicitly saying something and that fixes the problem. I think a lot of times it's going to be... Um, we have to, this, this is where I go back to the Jesus saying of like, forgive as you have been forgiven. I think we have to really, we have to really do the hard work of paying attention to what is my own, what, what is my experience of having, having debts forgiven? Mm -hmm. uh, when have I been on that side of the participation? And so when I can look at somebody else, I'm, I'm, I'm moving slow enough and I'm being thoughtful enough to actually see what they're bringing to me. Mm -hmm. And, and that, uh, that, that slowness, I think what that allows us to do is have experiences with each other that really are, um, one of the images that has helped me with this is the, the image of resonance. Mm -hmm. So it's like when a tuning fork hits, if you have another tuning fork that's at the same key, it starts to, it's just a ring mm -hmm. at the same note after a little time. And that's what we're trying to do with each other. Yeah. We are trying, like if, if, if I can enter in with you in a non-transactional way, I can, I can hit my tuning fork and match the note that you are humming at. That is what we want. Mm -hmm. So we have, or you've got a vision here to pitch for us for an opportunity to put this all in action this fall, um, just by being a part of Brown Lions. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we are we are jumping off of this idea that um, one of the challenges for people uh, today is that everything is up to you as an individual to make happen, and uh, and and churches should position themselves as ways to alleviate that pressure that we all feel like Louisa. So you're not caring as much. Um, <laughs> that song is going to be stuck in my it's head. It's going to be stuck in everybody's <laughs> head now. You're welcome for uh, putting uh, Louisa in your brain. Um, so the, the the vision we have is for communal meals. Um, and uh, according to scholars, like this is like one of the lifebloods of the earliest Jesus communities. So we're sort of we're sort of in the we're in the vein of the earliest people who are following Jesus, which is this the thing that that happened. It wasn't like a church service on a Sunday. It was people gathering together around a meal and ha and breaking bread together, as they say. So uh, so we're we're this is this it's about that uh, friendships. It's about uh, developing. Uh, connections where, like, if you show up on a Sunday to a service for Brownline Church, you you lock eyes with somebody and say, hey, I know that person. I can sit with that mm -hmm. person. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make communal meals happen. Now, traditionally, 
in, in, uh, in churches in America, small groups uh, that regularly meet once a week or like every other week or something like that are the traditional structure that churches try to offer to, uh, to make this happen. And we do have a handful of small groups. Like we are pro small groups. There are things like that happening. Mm -hmm. However, my sense is that in the last 10 years, as we talk about the pace and the busyness of life accelerating and accelerating, accelerating, one of the results of that, that Church people, I think, are afraid to admit, but it's actually been happening, is that it's becoming really hard to commit ongoing, uh, ongoingly to something like a small group. And we all feel, what about that? Guilty. Mm -hmm. So much guilt, because it's like, wait, but this is what churches have always told me I'm supposed to do to make friends or connect. And certainly in some settings, it does still work. But it, we, we have made so difficult, because of our culture of acceleration, getting past that initial bump of getting to know people, that yeah. it's, it's so hard. The deck is stacked against people for, for small groups. And so we all want small groups, but we can't commit to them, and so we feel guilty all the time. That is, like, we want to get off that treadmill. That's what, mm -hmm. that's what the goal of this vision is about. Get off that treadmill of feeling guilty. So what we're trying to do is to meet the desire for connection, but not inflame that experience of individual guilt. And really, we need to do this as a church, because... Uh, uh, one thing that is, is true of our community right now, post-COVID reality, where you know we're all locked down and we're we're now meeting together on a regular basis, except when there's water in the Davis Theater. <laughs> except for but, that. <laughs> but when on a normal week we're together, and uh, what 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 what's really interesting is that normally any you know, like get COVID out of the picture. Every about two years, a church will like turn over by a massive amount. A church in a city like Chicago, mm -hmm. like a half of the people will have changed over the course of two years. But if you're going every Sunday or like mostly every Sunday, you start to see that gradually happen. And so, you know, it's like you hardly notice it sometimes. Or maybe you do notice it. You step back and you realize. But because it's happening gradually. But here's the thing. All that turnover happened over the last two and a half years. But for most of that two and a half years, we were meeting online and you yeah. weren't seeing those people. So it hasn't happened gradually. So every person I talk to in our community comes to me and says, I feel like I don't know anybody in our church. And that makes sense. Of course we don't know anybody because we haven't seen that change gradually happen. Nothing has changed in terms of like how much our community has turned over, but we haven't seen it happen over time. And so suddenly it feels like none of us know anybody. And here, here's how we're going to address it, okay? <laughs> so my pitch for us uh, to address this is, um, let me put something up on the screen here for us. I think if I do that, no, it probably won't work. Uh, hey, uh, uh, Mike, can you put up the, um, put up the, what am I putting up? Uh, still, uh, 16. Yeah, that one. There we go. Um, so, okay. We, what, this is a QR code that you can follow, and you can sign up, uh, or you and a partner can sign up, and what will happen is once a month, you will get paired with somebody else who signed up on this list or another party that is signed or another family that signed up on this list. And the encouragement is when you get paired once a month, connect that month, have a meal or go to a park if you're like a family with kids or sometimes you might, might even be somebody who joins us from online. And if you want to do that, great, you know, get, meet up online for a game night or something like that, or just like get to know, to break open a bottle of wine in your two places and just <laughs> chat one night. So once a month, you will get paired with somebody. And all of our encouragement is get, get together, have a communal meal or a communal time together. And, uh, and in, in addition to this structure, we're, we're like committed. We're going to provide, every time we pair people up, we're going to be matchmakers. And every time we are matchmakers, we're going to offer some conversation starters. So if you've never met the person or something, or you're just not sure where to begin that conversation, here's a way to get it started. And, you can, and, and that can, that can jumpstart things. Sometimes you will meet with folks or you'll get paired with folks who are in the same stage of life as you. 
Other times, it will be a completely different stage of life. That is by design. Multi-generational, like multi-stage of life community is so important. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't often happen in, again, our, our accelerated culture. Because we all we do is like sync up with affinity groups who are probably the same age as us. Or, you know, a lot of our workplaces are really uh, segregated in terms of age. And so, uh, so we don't actually get much multi-generational community. We would love for people who are in this stage of life to hang out with people who are in this stage of life and muck it up and, you know, get to know each other and see what makes each other tick. Uh, we are positive that not everybody that you uh, connect with, if you do this over the course of several months, you're going to be like the best friends with. Of course, that's not going to happen. But I'll bet that one or two people that you connect with, you're like, that was really nice. We should see those people again. And at the very least, what happens if you've done this for, say, six months and had six interactions with six different peoples that you were paired with, at the very least, you show up on Sunday for church and you have a few more people that you can sit with and just, you know, because you've, you've hung out with them and you know who they are. And I think eventually, over time, this will, this will feed the kind of community that we want to be. And if we're all, you know, if, if, if this community is, is the community that's talking about the kind of things that we're talking about on Sunday, I have a feeling that we're going to have a lot less transactional relationships going mm -hmm. on. We're going to make more friends and all feel a little bit more like we, like we know those people uh, that we're in community with. And I think that'd be a real, real yeah. win. I think that this... For me, this feels so helpful because that initial step of making a connection, yep. asking somebody out for coffee, oh, all it's of so that. so awkward, right? It's, and it's the one that we can feel the most guilty about. Like, I've been meaning to ask Ugh. that person to go <sighs> hang out for or a like, month now. I like, what, I what, kind of, what kind of member of this church am I if, I if I can't, like, you know, go and introduce myself? I feel so awkward. Yes. We want to take that off of your yeah, plate. Yeah, we'll be awkward for you. We will be awkward for you. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, uh, Mike, let's put the QR code up one more time for everybody. So, if this sounds exciting to you, we want you to sign this up. And let me just to double down on the guilt thing. If you are somebody who does feel like you have friendships in this community and you are not feeling like pressure in this way, or maybe you're feeling pressure in this way, but you actually step back and you're like, wait, should I feel pressure in this way? Because I do feel like I have some connections and, I, and, I, and uh, I, I, maybe, maybe I just want to do this because, oh my gosh, if I don't do this, will Vince and Haley be mad at me? Can we just say, we will not be mad at you. Do not guilt yourself. Do not guilt yourself if this is not for you, but this is going to be for some of us. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people, it's going to jump over a hurdle that's too high right now for individuals to jump over themselves. So do not guilt yourself into this. But if this is right for you, you should totally do this because I think it's going to be great. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, I would love if you could close our time by praying for like us. To. I would like to. Um, I see, I'm seeing um, 46 missed messages in uh, Discord, so we've got some work to do this week to look <laughs> at uh, what we did. We, as, as you all can tell, we're, this was a frazzled morning, so we didn't have everything <laughs> before us like we would like to. I would have loved to have brought in the chat uh, a little bit today, but, um, but we will do that next week. Uh, next week. Yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let me pray for us. <clears throat> God, this experience of constant nagging guilt that we began talking about last week and we continue talking about this week is, it's everywhere. And it is reinforced by even a lot of the voices that are supposed to be helping us. <laughs> and oh, how difficult that is. 
what do we do? I think about what we were praying about last week of like, God, we need you as a filter. We need you to come and give us the appropriate weight of a yoke. We have all of these yokes that are too heavy, and you give us an appropriately weighted yoke. We need you to guide us into that. And then today, as we think about participating in the flow of forgiveness so that we can forgive ourselves and we can be people who you know, offer spaces of forgiveness to others that are not looking for the transactions to be evened, that are not just feeding that, that, that manic energy to prove ourselves, to compare ourselves, to show that we're, I don't know, fill in the blank, to show that we're smart or to show that we're cool or to show that we're not cool, that we're nonconformist, whatever it is, we just feel so much pressure to do that in front of each other. But we want to tread different ground as a community that is not demanding that people prove each other, prove themselves to each other, and is not demanding that people even transactions with each other. But it's hard because we have just had two and a half years of like not knowing each other well enough. So I pray that if there's any like wind in the sails of this communal matches, that's awesome. We would love for that to be the case. And so may that, may that move us forward. May you, may you meet many, many, many of our people over communal meals or just, you know, meetings at the park or game nights online or wine nights online, whatever it is. Would you meet us in those moments? And then I pray that you would continue to meet us in our own communities that, that you know, the circles that touch this circle, that all the, the workspaces, the neighborhoods, the families that we all come from. And that we, we, would, we would be cultures that are, that are far less transactional. We would, we would, we would like lay out, uh, we would have a vibe when people walk in. It just feels like this is, this, is, this is not adding more demands to me. This is relieving all of those. This is a place where I can go and I can take a deep breath because I don't feel like I have to run fast to catch up. Would we give off that vibe to everyone we interact with? In Jesus' name, amen.